Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. Thanks, Vinny. I love you too. Vinny has yelled at me in, in, in grocery stores before. That's my pastor. That man changed my life. Did I do a good impersonation of you? A little bit, maybe. It's better than your than your than your Arkansas version of me. Is that good? Some of you guys are like, what's going on here? It's a long story. Sorry. It's great to see you today. It's great to, to be here. I hope you had a great Christmas. And, uh, man, I hope you had a great New Year's and all that good stuff. And for those of you that are like me, you have probably have started and failed already in your uh, New Year's resolutions to lose weight. No skinny people. I don't like you anyhow. So, yeah, why? I mean, dude, I'm just saying from like Thanksgiving all the way through to the season. Amen? Maybe not. It is for me. I'm just telling you, life is great. And, uh, and so, and then, um, then this past weekend, I uh, was, uh, last weekend I was at my mom and dad's and they lived just outside of Memphis. And so I uh, flew in there and had biscuits and gravy and uh, uh, wow. Man, my mother. And then, and, and then we, we went to eat Tex-Mex, which is one of my favorites. I'm just going to tell you, Spanish will be spoken fluently, and everybody will speak it in heaven. Amen? There will be enchiladas, sour cream enchiladas, Mexican rice. I'm just going on and on and on. So anyhow, so I hope you had a great, great, great. I hope, I hope you're ready for a new year. And we're beginning this brand new series and, and, uh, and called Dangerous Prayers. If you weren't here last weekend, there is a... Uh, just a journal that actually you can pick up at the Resource Center. It's free. They're there until they're gone. We just kind of wanted to do is we began this, this year, began this series with this uh, sermon series, Dangerous Prayers. And, and so today I want to begin, um, I'm actually going to start in Psalm 51, but I'm going to get to Ephesians chapter 4. So if you really want to trek along with me, Ephesians 4 is probably where I would go. If you want to do both, I'm going to start at Psalm 51, then I'm going to get to Ephesians chapter 4. But the dangerous prayer that I am talking about today is change. It's the, the prayer of change me. And this is something that most of us do during this time of the year, uh, New Year's resolution. Uh, it, it, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But, uh, but all of us in our life on a regular rhythm and basis, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, should constantly be looking for growth and change in your life. And, and, and many times we all, especially in America, uh, during this first part of this year, we kind of, here's my New Year's resolution, here's what I want to do, here's what I want to change. And some of you by this stage in the ballgame of, of just since the beginning of the year have already stopped, or excuse me, started and failed and maybe you're having to restart some of those resolutions in all seriousness. Some of you are just, man, you're, you're locked and loaded and you're good. Uh, this is the, like the three weeks that I hate going to the gym the most because it's just jam-packed with everybody. And I just tell myself, wait till February and they'll all be gone. And that's typically what happens. And so, um, but um, it's just, it is what it is because that's kind of the rhythm that we're in. But how do you have... Uh, change in your life? How do you create sustainable change in your life? How, how can you find yourself at a place where you're growing and you're not just trying to always catch up? You're not always trying to, trying to just, just tie up loose ends or, or you're on this, this, this wheel of I'm always trying to do this, that, or the other. That's what I'm going to talk about today. How do you create change in your life? What does the Bible say about that? Well, we begin in Psalm 51 probably with one of the greatest prayers for change that's recorded in Scripture. It's, it's recorded and given by a guy named David, who at that point was the king of Israel. Israel is God's people. So David is this powerful individual. David has made some incredible, stupid mistakes. He sinned. 
And in the Old Testament, the way God would convict of sin, would he would send the priest or the prophet to you, and you would know that you were supposed to, well, he just, they'd kind of read your mail, so to speak. Today, the Holy Spirit does that. He kind of speaks to our heart. And it may be through a, through a reading a passage of scripture. It may be through a quiet time or devotion time that you're having with the Lord. It may be through a weekend service where all of a sudden you go, I need to fix this. This isn't right. I, I need to ask God to forgive me. I, I need to make a change. In the Old Testament, it came through a priest or through a prophet. And so in this particular instance, there was a man of God, a prophet, that came to him and basically called him on what he was doing and called him on his sin. And David, the Bible records in Psalm 51 this prayer of David, of a man who is at the top of his game, who has completely failed, who has completely fallen, who has broken commandments, who has sinned against God, and basically has become what he never wanted to be. And he prays this prayer, and in the middle of this, towards the beginning actually, in verse 10, are recorded these words where David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That word create in me means change me, God. I can't do this. I don't know. I know how I got here, but I'm not exactly sure the steps of what it took and, and the process. And, and I never intended on being here. I never intended on sinning in this way. I never intended on failing in this way. Creating me change. God, change me. Bring me back to that boy that was in the field. Bring me back to that place where I was a man after your own heart. Bring me back to that place that I was pure. Bring me back to that place where I was holy before you. God, create change in me. I don't have the ability to change myself. I ask you, oh God, creating me a clean heart. Why does he begin with the heart? Real simple. Because the Bible says out of the heart flows all the issues of life. The decisions that we're going to make, the, the weaknesses that we have, the temptations that we battle, they're all lurking. They're all coming from our heart. And if I can change my heart, then my mind will change, my actions will change, my speech will change. Everything flows from my heart. The Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we speak, we're not just saying something. I didn't mean to say that. No, that came from your heart. That was in your heart. That was something that came through your eyes, registered in your mind, and took up residency in your heart. We just don't act. We're not rock'em, sock'em robots. We're not controlled by some cosmic heavenly joystick. The reality is, is that there is a change that has to happen in our hearts. So that's where change begins. And, 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 and so all change, this is how it works, begins, first of all, with desire. you got to have want to. You, you, you cannot push or make someone change if they don't want to change. I mean, if you don't believe that, go just go hang around with a toddler for a while. They're going to do what they're going to do. That baby's going to cry. That baby's going to, those terrible twos. It's you just cannot make someone do what they don't want to do. There has to be a want to. There has to be a desire. There's got to be a, a fight. I'll never forget playing Pop Warner football at Jeffrey's Boys Club in Fort Smith. And we were running drills and this and that. And, and uh, the coach uh, kind of stopped. The whole practice brought us all around. And there were two guys running line drills from defense and offense. And so they would set up on opposing lines. 
and hit the whistle. As soon as the whistle blew, it was like the snap from the quarterback, and then they were supposed to see who could drive each other the furthest or just knock each other over, in essence. And so all of a sudden, he hit the whistle, and this guy just steamrolls the other guy. Just, I mean, just plows him, lays him on his back. Up again, boys. Let's go. One, two, three. Ready? And the whistle goes, does it again. He said, and we're all standing around going, what is going on here? What, what are we supposed to be learning? This guy is getting creamed. Does it for the third time. Then the coach stops, and he takes the young man who, who comes from a very affluent family and has everything, and he stops for a minute and, and just and says, I want you to look at his equipment. Is there, is there an equipment problem here? He has a brand-new bike football helmet. Uh, this is the 1980s. And so he, he has spot-built cleats that are brand-new. He's got a collarbone guard. He's got the best uh, Rydell equipment that they make. He's got everything top to bottom. The guy who is drilling him over and over and over, he said, let me see your cleats, son. He shows him the bottom of his cleats, and they're almost slick. I mean, there's, there's no cleat left. These cleats have been passed down. <laughs> Multiple groups of kids have worn these cleats. These have been older brothers and older siblings that have had these. They've been worn on the streets. There's, there's very little to no traction of these things at all. And all of his equipment was like, you know, he had got, they got it from the locker room there at the boys' club. The white stuff, was, oh, the plastic was all kind of... Uh, yellowing. It was old. It, there was nothing great about the equipment. And the coach stopped and he said, what's the difference, men? And I'll never forget this. He goes, it's not the size of the dog that counts. It's the fight in the dog that counts. He said, this kid doesn't have anything and this kid has everything. He has no advantage. He has every advantage. But the difference is desire. This one wants it more than this one wants it. And if we're going to win, it's going to be because we have want to, not because we've got all the equipment in the world. It's true in life. We do in life what we want to do. You can say what you want to say. You can play it the way you want to play it. You can spin the record any way you want to. But it all begins with desire. It begins with want to. If you don't want to change, if you don't want to see your life transformed, if you don't want to grow in Christ, you're not. But if you desire, if you want to, it doesn't matter if all the odds are stacked against you and everything that you have around you is old and outdated and undone, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you can do that. It begins with desire. The second part about change is that it's always a process. I wish it wasn't, but it is. I wish that I could just pray for you and, and whatever's wrong with you would just change. I wish somebody could pray for me. I could grab a hold of belt loops on my pants and just lose 20 pounds in the name of Jesus. Amen? Wouldn't that be nice? It would be. The problem is I go to the buffet again. You know what I'm saying? So let's move on. But, but it's about a change. So how do you change? What's the process for change? Aaron, does the Bible talk about steps for change? I'm so glad you asked that question. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 24 gives us some steps. It gives us a process that we can walk through. Verse 21 says, and the truth is in Jesus. Here's the truth. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Verse 23, and be renewed in your mind, in the spirit of your mind. And for 24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he gives us this process for change. This process for change, it requires two things. Number one, it requires choice. Again, this goes back to want to. Secondly, it requires action. Belief without actions is dead. You can say all day long, you can give lip service all day long, you believe something, you subscribe to something, but if the actions of your life do not support it, you do not believe it. It's just lip service. It's what we call hypocrisy, right? 
I say I love God, but there's nothing in my life that shows it. I say I love my family, but there's nothing in life that supports it. I say I want to grow in my life, but there's nothing in life that supports it. I say I want to make good grades, but I don't do my homework. Moms, that's a great way to say amen. It doesn't support it. It's just lip service. And so the reality is, is that the process for change requires choice and action. So there are three choices, three actions that you have to make according to what Paul tells us here and how to make change in your life, sustainable change in your life. First of all, off with the old. You have to make a decision that you're done with the old way of doing things. You have to go off with the old. If you're not ready to be done with the old way of doing things, it doesn't matter. Look back at verse number 22. That you put off, comma, concerning your former conduct. So that's the old way you did things, in comma. The old man, that's what he's referring to. The old man is the way you used to act and the way you used to conduct yourself before Christ. Why? Because it grows corrupt according to what? Deceitful lusts. So your old man, the old way you used to do things before coming to Christ, is corruptible, which means it has the ability to corrode. It has the ability to corrupt. It has the ability to destruct. It has the ability to disintegrate. Why? Because it be believes deceitful, which are lying, untruthful, non-forthright lust, which are evil desires. We all inside of us have lusts. We, we all inside of us have the ability to desire that which is sin, to desire that which is wrong. It, it's just how we're, it's, it's, it's part of being flesh and blood. I mean, we, we see it from Adam and Eve all the way through to you and I. It's just the way we're wired. And that's the reason why God gave us Jesus, so that we could have life and truth in him. And according to what bi the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 6, 7, and 8, although we may struggle, we can overcome those lusts. But we have to understand, they're still there. They're still going to pop their ugly heads up at the most inopportune times. And so we have to be vigilant. We have to be aware. We have to understand how this thing works. Because it's those lusts, it's those evil desires, those lies of the enemy that will snare us away and pull us away, that will corrupt us, that will corrode us, that will disintegrate us, that will literally tear us apart and dissolve us until we're nothing. That's what he wants us to do. So what does he say we have to do? If we want to change, we've got to put off the old man. Now, the Greek, the New Testament is written in the, in the Greek language. And the Greek language is an incredible language. And, and the whole basis of it, uh, for the most part, is, uh, is kind of what they would call word pictures, which are powerful. Because if you get an image of something, then it's very transforming. That's the reason why images are so powerful. It's the reason why with media and with video and all of that, it's such a powerful way to communicate and to translate people uh, because it, 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 that's how we're wired. And so it, there's these word pictures, these images that I go, hey, I may not understand all the theological ramifications of that statement, but I get the word picture. And it's simple. Take off the old garment. Divest yourself of the old garment. Divest yourself of the old Take off the old. What does it say of Jesus when he comes to earth? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He who was incorruptible, not having the ability to corrode, to corrupt, or dissolve, took on this corruptible, the ability to corrode, corrupt, and dissolve flesh, but did it without sin. You and I are born into this sinful, flawed nature. So we have to deal with that, or it's going to deal with us. And the reality is, is I've got to make a decision that I'm going to put off the old. So here's the question. The question is simply this, what do I need to stop doing? What is it, in order to get the change that I want, wherever I want to be, what is it that i got to stop doing? If I want to lose weight, i got to stop overeating. 
I'll never forget going one time to a doctor. I was completely convinced I had a thyroid issue. Don't really know what a thyroid is. Don't know what it looks like. I just knew I had an issue. Because an overactive thyroid makes you skinny and an underactive thyroid makes you fat. And I was just consumed. I was just, I'm fat because I got an underactive thyroid. That has to be what it is. I'm exercising. I'm walking. I'm running. I'm doing. I was in my late 20s at that time. And we were living in Oklahoma. And, and I go to the doctor. And I said, look, doc, I can just tell you. I can save you a lot of time. Do your test. Whatever. It's going to confirm this. I have, I have an underactive thyroid. That's got to be what's going on. He laughed. He said, okay, Aaron, so let's go through a series of questions. He asked me questions. At the end of it, he runs a couple tests. He said, look, I'm going to run this test just to humor you, but I'm just telling you, you don't have an underactive thyroid. I said, how can you be so sure of that? I said, man, I, I said, I ran two miles this morning. I can't lose any weight. It doesn't matter what I do. I said, I know you're getting older, but I'm still kind of a young guy in my late 20s. And he laughed. He said, yeah, your problem is you're consuming 6,000 calories a day. <laughs> you have to quit eating. That's your problem. That's what you need to stop doing. So he put me on a 1,500-calorie diet day, uh, and I, that lasted for about a week, and I was done. I ate about 1,500 calories just like between meals, you know. So, so the deal I'm saying to you is what is it that you have to stop doing? In order to get where you want to go, you got to stop doing something. You may need to stop that relationship. You may need to, you may need to change jobs. You may need to... You, you may need to stop the, the self-doubt. And, and, and you may need to stop the self-pity. You may need to, to stop running in this direction. You may need to stop driving through this particular route because it always takes you by that bar that by the time leads you into that, and then all of a sudden you're drunk, and then all of a sudden, it, what, what, whatever it may be, what is it that you need to stop doing? Look, you don't need me or some uh, doctor to tell you what you need to stop doing. We know. But the question is, is what do you need to stop doing? Second action or question that comes up is that you have to change your mind. Before you ever change your actions, you've got to change your mind. Look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That word renew means to change. What does a renewed spirit of mind look like? I'm so glad you asked that question. Go back to verse 21. It's all in the book. Back to verse 21. And the truth, the change that you need, is in what? Jesus. I know it's church. I know you think, oh, okay, here we go. He's going to, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. He's just going to sing us a song. and we're gonna, No, 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 no. I want to walk you through this. How do I look like Jesus? Well, first of all, it begins with I'm choosing to follow him. If I'm going to know you, I've got to be around you, right? Proximity is what helps me develop relationship. I can't develop relationship with you unless I have proximity. So I cannot develop relationship with Christ. I cannot develop that unless I choose to be around him and I choose to be with him. And so I'm going to choose to follow him, which means I want to imitate him. I want to do as he does, say as he say, live as he lived. Do I need to go like get Birkenstocks and wear a bathrobe? No, no, that's weird. And this is what happens in church sometimes. People start looking at certain things and go, well, that's descriptive. But it's not prescriptive. No, 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 no. You don't have to go move to Jerusalem and go live a life and just walk the, and don't, don't take a car anymore. And Jesus didn't ride in a car, so I'm not going to a car, right? It doesn't record in history that Jesus brushed his teeth or used deodorant, but I would encourage you to do both. Do you understand? Because the Bible says all, I'm being serious. Sometimes people go really crazy on this. I'm asking you, though, to look at how he lived life. Look at the rhythm and how he lived life. Look at the values in which he lived by. Look at the principles in which he espoused. Do you really want to imitate that? That's what it means to be a Christian. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, is the first place in Scripture where people were called Christians. 
It was in the town of Antioch. And the people in the marketplace looked at that group of Christ followers and said, they are so much like Jesus, they are Christians, which means to be Christ-like. Are you a truly devoted follower of Jesus? Here's what's interesting to me about, because you go, well, how, how, how do I get the full image? I mean, I don't have a picture of them. It's not like they had Instagram back then. I can just go back and look at his Instagram post and go, oh, that's what Jesus looked like. And, and No, the Bible is very interesting. That's where you go back to God's word. The Bible basically is a series, from one perspective, is a series of biographies of, of, of great people and great individuals. All who were flawed, failed humanity, except for Jesus. Every single character in this biographical sketch, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, are given one perspective. It's basically a historical perspective. Not a lot of insight, except for when it comes to Jesus. Why is that? Because you've got Matthew's account, who's a tax collector. You've got Mark's account, who is basically an average Joe, kind of a blue-collar kind of a guy. You have Luke's account, who is a physician. You have John's account, which was John the Beloved. You have these accounts. You have these perspectives. Four different perspectives of the same life. No other life in Scripture is given that. Why is it given to Jesus? Because that's who we're to be like. Why is that so important? Because John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then John goes on to explain that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Which means that the word of God is completely enveloped into the person of Jesus. And the person of Jesus is the complete magnification of the word of God. That's the reason why when the religious leaders of the first century asked Jesus, are you trying to do away with the Old Testament? Are you trying to do away with the law? Jesus said, no, I just came to fulfill it because whoever follows me will fulfill the law. Because the law was not given for you and I to be able to have perfect attendance and be able to perfectly execute it. The law was given to show that we are unable, we are incapable. We do not have the ability to do all of that. It was one big object lesson that God gave us that we are flawed, failed humanity. Why does he go through such extent? Because he tells Adam and Eve, you can do anything you want to do, just don't do this one thing. And when he told them the straight truth, see, this is interesting because many times we go, well, if God would just tell me, I would do it. No, you wouldn't because he tells them. Hey, guys, you can do anything you want to do. This is the one thing you can't do. And when he says, this is the wet paint, what do they do? They go touch it. If God would just tell me, no, you would do the same thing because we can't handle it. It's the way our brains are wired. And so he does this huge object lesson to simply say, you are incapable of getting to heaven. You are incapable of being perfect. You are incapable of attaining what you've got to attain. You are incapable of following and being completely obedient to my will and wish. So I'm going to send one who is my one and only son, and he'll die for you. And if you follow him, you, and by following him, will be able to fulfill all that I require of you, which is perfection. Not through yourself, but through Jesus. So Jesus is the word, the Bible. And the Bible is Jesus made flesh. Therefore, if I follow him, I'm fulfilling the Bible. If I just keep my eyes on him, I'll fulfill the Bible. I don't have to worry about every, every nuance. I don't have to worry about every translation. I don't have to worry about every, every transliteration. I don't have to worry about exegeting the Hebrew or the Aramaic or the Greek that it was originally written in. I don't have to have a doctorate or a PhD in theology to do this. No, 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 no. It's really simple. Just follow Jesus. 
And we have four different snapshots, four different viewpoints, four different to show us who and what he is. And so the reality is, is that if I want to get the mind of Christ, I will get the life of Christ. If I think the way Jesus thinks, if I look at what he does and why he does what he does, then that will come out in my life. Because the laws will never make me like Jesus. The rules, the regulations will only bring guilt and shame and condemnation. But the only thing that will bring life is when I get a picture of who Jesus is and I move towards that picture. And as I move towards that picture, I will become more like Jesus. Very simple. So the question is about the renewing of your mind and whatever you want to do, do you want to become more like Jesus? That's the question. Do you really want to become more like Jesus? Because again, I'm firmly convinced we do in life what we want to do. You spend your time, you spend your money, you, spend, you do what you want to do. You're in debt because you chose to be in debt. You didn't come into this world with debt. Somewhere along the way, you made a deal and it didn't work out. You took a credit card and you swiped your way to happiness. Or you did what you had to do in order to quote unquote pay your bills because from your perspective, that's what you had to do and that's where you are. You made a decision, this relationship didn't work out, now you're divorced and here's where you are. This, this relationship didn't work out, this happened, this happened, that happened, whatever, da 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 You can play the scenarios a gazillion different ways. We are a sum total of who and what we are because that's what we decided we wanted to do. Just take responsibility. Wow. I'm sorry, I had a double espresso before I started. (laughs) I'm not beating up on you. I deal with the exact same stuff myself. I'm just telling you the truth of the word. But the good news is, is God doesn't just leave us there. He tells us, put off with the old, begin to change your mind, your way of thinking, through having the mind of Christ, thus you'll have the life of Christ. And you do that by lastly, putting on the new. Put on the new. Now again, these word pictures are very, po- are very powerful. Look, look at verse number 24. Now that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he tells us in verse 22 to put off. He tells us in verse 24 to put on. Again, these are word pictures. So I'm to put off the old. I'm to take off the old. Like I take off a nasty garment, like a, like, 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 like a, like a coat or some stinky shoes, and I do away with it. If you ever lose weight, what do they tell you to do with your fat clothes? Get rid of them. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have a tendency to go back to that because it's comfortable. Get away from it. Take off the old. Take off the old and do away with the old. Renounce the old. Walk away with the old began to renew your mind according to to be more like Jesus and then put on the new. It's a word picture. I need to put on these new clothes. I need to put on this newness. What what do I need to put on, Aaron? Is it like it's just kind of like I'm going to click my heels and and we're going to be in the land of Oz? I mean, what what kind of like, you know, mumbo jumbo kind of an incantation kind of a magic thing are you talking about? No, it's right here in Scripture. What do I need to put on? First, he says, I need to be put on the new man who's created according to God. That's the first thing that I put on. I put on the fact that I am made in the image and the likeness of God, the creator. This is something that we just glow over and we don't even stop and pay attention to. To be made in the creator in the image and the likeness of God, you are the only thing on the planet that's created that way. Do you understand that? The Bible says that the earth and the fullness thereof 
It's the handiwork of God. It's like going to a carpenter shop and the carpenter showing you all the millwork and all the things that the carpenter's done with their hands, and you're marveled by it. Such as is the earth and the fullness thereof. So that means the earth, the galaxy, the, the atmosphere, uh, the, the mountains, the various, the various e- uh, uh, ecological systems that are on the face of the planet, the, the birds of the air, um, the beasts of the field, the, the, the fish in the sea, uh, everything about this world, this is God's handiwork. He spoke the stars into the sky. He, 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 spoke, he spoke this world into existence by the very mere power of his words. He, he created and sculpted man in his image and his likeness and breathed life. He, whoa. The only thing on the face of the planet that bears the image and the likeness of God is you and me. Everything else is the handiwork. Everything else is the craftsmanship of, the, uh, of God. Except for you and I, we're created, the Bible says, in his image and in his likeness. See, if you're going to be able to put on with the new, you've got to change your thinking. You've got to come from saying, I'm, I'm some ancestral primate that's produced somewhere, some primordial ooze that was part of some, some galaxy explosion. No, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says, that in my mother's womb, God knit my parts together and that he knew me and that he has a future and a hope for me, that I'm not just some accident. I'm not just some byproduct. I'm not just some, 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 some. I have been made and called and created in the very image and likeness of God. Well, what is the image and likeness of God? It's the power to speak things that are not as though they are. It's, it's a God who spoke the world into existence. So that same creative power and ability rests in you. It's time that you act like that, amen? That same power. So, so there's something about us that goes, the Bible says that God told Adam to have dominion over the earth. Do you know why it is that you want to own your own home and you want to have your own say in your own life? That's not a new thing. That's not an American ideal. That's a human institution. Why? Here's what it is. It's because we have a desire and a design inside of us to want to own and to conquer and to subdue this earth. Why? Because we're made in the very image and likeness of God. Do you know why we want to colonize Mars? It's because we are made in the image and the likeness and the fashion of God. And God has no limits. He has no boundlessness. So when you listen to Elon Musk talk about what he wants to do with SpaceX, when you talk about the possibility of colonization of Mars, that may sound a million years away. Where does that desire come from? It comes from a God who created you and I, who has no limits, who has no boundaries, who within the eschaton of time has no beginning and no ending. That's the same power that rests in you. So if you're going to put off with the old and put on with the new, understand what new you're putting on, that you are made in the image and the likeness of a God who spoke the world into existence, who breathed life into humanity, and who has no beginning and who has no ending. And so every time you create, you are acting in the image and likeness of God. Every time that you work towards the good of humanity, you're acting in the image and the likeness of God. Every time you propose forward uh, the, the, the dream and the desires that are in your heart and in your life, you're acting in the image and the likeness of God. Even when you father your children and you love them and you parent them, you're acting in the very image and likeness of God. That's what we have to put on. We also have to put on righteousness and holiness. Well, dude, man, you just said like we're jacked up. So how do we stink and do that? By following Jesus. Vince Lombardi said to the Green Bay Packers, it's part of why they put G on the side of the helmet. Seriously, go back and read it. 
we're going, this is going to stand for greatness. We're going to pursue perfection. Knowing that we will never be perfect, yet in our pursuit for perfection, we will attain excellence. We will be a franchise that will be great. You and I will never, ever pursue, or excuse me, never, ever attain perfection. Who is that? It's Jesus. But we will pursue it. We will be imitators of him. See, Lombardi wasn't the first one to come up with this ideology. And in our pursuit of him, we will attain excellence. We will be made great. Because it's not about my holiness. It's about his. My holiness is as a filthy rags inside of a holy God. It's not about my righteousness. It's his. I can't be holy enough. I can't be righteous enough. It's by grace that I've been saved through faith. And that not of myself. It's a gift of God lest I become boastful. But when I put my life in him. And when I trust in him. And when I use the grace that he's been given to me. I will find rightness, which is what righteousness means, with God. I'll find holiness, which I have not the ability to attain, only through Jesus. So if I'm going to change my life, the essence is I need to be a new man, which begins with a choice, which is enforced with a mindset that I am his, that results in the life of a victor. So great healthy change in 2017, regardless of what it is that you are praying for change, which is that dangerous prayer. Change me, oh God. I think the essence is to be more like Jesus. Whether you're trying to grow your business, whether you're trying to start a family, whether you're praying for an upcoming marriage, whether you're just praying to meet somebody, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Whatever it is that you're praying for, whatever it is that you're believing for, trying to get out of debt so that you're free, trying to break some sin or some addiction that's in your life that's plaguing you, and try to free yourself from a struggle, I would say it's living like Jesus. And I'm not being trying to be super spiritual. I'm just being honest. And even if you don't have a New Year's resolution, and there's no change that's floating around on your, on your frontal lobe of your mind, I would say it would be behoove all of us and, and compel all of us to be more like Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, practically, Jesus always did life in groups. Always, except for when he's alone in prayer. He's not alone. That's how he did it. Why? Because life transformation happens in circles, not in rows. It will start in a conversation like this, but really where it develops and it takes root is when you're in a group of people with like-mindedness that you began to work together and live together and you began to just kind of do life together. I'm not proposing communal living. Don't misunderstand me. Again, that's where people go crazy, okay? I'm saying, are you in a group of fellow Christ followers that are encouraging you and are building you up in your faith, that you're praying one for another, that you're loving one for another, that you're working with one for another? Well, I'm busy. Join the club. I can't be there every week. Join the club. But is that a priority somewhere in your life? Because at Life Church, one of the ways we do that is through life groups, which today as you leave, you can talk to someone at Orange Tent about that. You can go online and, and check and fill out a deal for a life group. You can, you can do it on your communication card. Be in a life group. We start small groups at Life Church in elementary. They're done during the confines of the weekend service to try to start that rhythm. And then when the students get to middle school and high school, we began to do small groups twice a month 
They run concurrently with, with what we're doing with, with life groups at the church so that there's this rhythm of doing life in a group, large setting, in a small setting. Second thing Jesus did is that Jesus came to serve other people, not to be served. Depression is a leading issue and problem in America. And psychologists and the data shows that when people find a place to serve other people, depression begins to lift. And even some metabolical changes that need to happen internally begin to happen because there's a certain chemical release that happens when, because it gets my mind off of me and what I've got to do and what's wrong with me, and it gets me on sometimes serving other people that may have it worse off than I do. There's something that happens in our life that only happens when we serve. And nothing in our world is set up to serve. Your job is not about serving. You get paid to do your job. Because if you don't, you don't show up. And we teach our kids civic responsibility. But then we gripe about all the civic events and organizations that are around. Government and all of these things. So who wants to be a part of that? Because it's just one big personal agenda. So again, we at Life Church, as with all churches, have an opportunity for you to serve. So on the back side of your communication card, there's a box that says Life Track. And if you're not serving somewhere, you can check that box. And what we'll do is we'll follow up and help you find a place to serve. Everybody can serve. So one of the oldest members of Life Church, Kathy Christ, she's in a walker. She's on oxygen. She's not able to get here every week. But when she's here, you will find her typically right outside that door right there to my right. And she's there hunched over with a bulletin. And I always go to her and say, Kathy, it's so great to see you. And Kathy, you look great today. Kathy, your hair looks nice. And she says, Pastor, I love Jesus. I love you and I love this church. And I said, Kathy, I wish everybody felt that way. And she said, I just love this place. And, this is, and I said, thank you for serving. She said, this is just what I can do. I can't be here every week and I, we like to be here more than when I'm able to be here. But when I'm here, I want to do this. This is my church. Many times we think, well, unless I'm preaching a sermon or I'm leading worship or I'm playing the piano or I'm doing something big up front, it doesn't really matter. No, it matters huge. Studies show that within 30 seconds of someone pulling onto the parking lot, they've decided whether they're coming back or not. So the people that are the parking lot attendants, especially when it's zero degrees outside, those guys and gals, their first impressions. Door greeters at the door, first impressions. Steve Modi that will kind of go through the hall and just kind of be there to shake hands and hug necks and kiss babies every week finds you, Pastor, how are you doing? How are things going? First impressions. Vicki Snow, who will be ushering on the third service every week at that door right there, been here since the beginning. First impressions. People make a decision before they ever get to hear my wonderful voice or see my great face. I'm being facetious, folks. It's okay to laugh. They're making a decision on whether they're coming back. Not because of me, because of you. They drop their kids off in early childhood. Do you know? Talk to a single mom on the way in. And she just stopped for a minute. I said, so good to see you. 
And she said, this church has done so much for me and for my son. The time in this room may be the only moment that she has to worship God uninterrupted, to open God's word and let the Holy Spirit speak to her heart and her life. Guarantee you, she's thankful for people right now that are serving early childhood and elementary. I told Lindsay, our early childhood director, I said, if you have a weekend where there's not enough people in rooms to work for early childhood, then they'll find somebody else to preach on the platform, and I'll give my notes to somebody, and I'll go in there and serve anytime in 2017. Why? Because if statistics are true, students come to faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 14, before they ever do as an adult. The 90% of them that are going to come to faith in Christ are going to do so by the age of 14. But that's just kids. That's where it begins. See, there's a systematic theology that's, that's adopted all the way from zero, all the way through sixth, through the fifth grade, that, there, that there's an 18-month systematic theology that's been put in so that all the biblical truths that you want your children to know and the core teachings of God's Word from the Old Testament to the New Testament are taught in a way that these children begin to understand it, and it all begins in early childhood. It begins with fostering a love for the church, and, the, and, and you go, but this all looks fine. Yes, because kids are social before they're spiritual, but we're grazing them up to be men and women of God. It's the most important place that you can serve is in early childhood, elementary, or in life church youth. I learned how to pray day in and day out because a youth pastor, not a youth pastor, a youth worker, a youth sponsor, who was a cabinet maker by trade, still is, pulled me aside spoke into my life and said, come with me every single day, Monday through Friday, I'll pick you up, you and all of the junior high boys with you, and you're going to learn how to pray by listening to me pray. And we're going to walk through God's word together. Biggest people that made impacts in my life were not ministers. They were people just like you. Why is that important? Because great will be your reward. Because you don't know what, I'm telling you, I was the wildest junior high kid you'd ever met in your life. And that's hard for you to imagine. You don't ever know what they're going to wind up doing. You don't know who they're going to preach to. You don't know how many people are going to come to faith in Christ under their leadership and their ministry. But you make a difference. I can go on and on and on about this. I'm going to be quiet. I want to close today. And I just want you to see a quick video. It's about 120 seconds of a couple, just like you, who in the last 12 months made Life Church their home church. And they followed suit with this change of getting into a group and finding a place to serve. Watch this. We started attending Life Church in spring of 2016. Our first time here, um, I was scared. I was very nervous because I'm not very great with change. But we were sitting down and, you know, the band started playing, the lights went down, and they're up there singing, and we're like, we had a rock concert? And you almost feel guilty. What is going on? We are very, like, traditional-going church people, like, with the stained glass, with the bells ringing. Very quiet. Singing hymns. Everybody (laughs) in their place, no doing anything out of order. And then we're looking around, and we're like, Everyone's really getting into it. Yeah, we're excited here. Yeah, that was different for us. Coming from the church that we came from, that we were a part of for so long, it's easy to become complacent, and it's easy to, to forget why you're there. And it's, it's, it's hard to get excited when you think you're going just through the motions. 
We just, we saw something on the big screens um, about life track and Jason and I looked at each other and we knew that was something we just were gonna do. We signed up um, right away. Uh, we attended three during the summer. Life track, um, you were asked many questions and a lot of it were about where would you be best to serve? We just, we knew we had to serve. We knew we wanted to serve, but we knew we had to serve because that was our calling. We met with Amy, who was on staff here at Life Church. She then got us in touch with Josh, who was part of the elementary uh, Life Kids. Everybody was really helpful and just found a way to get into church and serve so we can do our part. And he was really excited, really, to have us on board. I mean, he, he showed such enthusiasm for his volunteers. It made us want to serve on a very regular basis. And you so, feel appreciated, so you want to do absolutely. that. Absolutely. Before that, we started um, attending life groups. I was extremely nervous. I was in my car on the way to the life group, sweating, thinking, okay, I'm at this new church. <laughs> Gonna meet these new people that I have no idea who they are. And immediately walking in there, and Tammy started talking, and I just felt comfortable. You know, you're here to serve the Lord, but you're also here to serve each other. So I have met so many wonderful people by going through the life groups, which was life-changing, I think, for both of us as well. Get involved. Seriously. It's, it may be scary and intimidating coming into a new life environment like this, a new church, you got new people surrounding you, sitting next to you in the service. I can't emphasize enough, it took us two years to make this change. It has changed the whole dynamic of our church-going experience. Being complacent in church is the last thing you should do. You know, change your life, change who you are, and make this be a part of what you do. Activate yourself. Get out there, put yourself on that pedestal, and show people what you can do to help out here at church.